We are in week five of our Bring It series. Do you want to see revival? Amen, me too. If revival was based on how loud we are, would we have revival? No! (laughs) Fortunately for us, though, it doesn't really matter. But uh, I do like enthusiasm. I do like noise. It's a good thing. It helps loosen people up, help people receive, I think, a little bit easier. But uh, I believe revival is there for the taking. That it isn't something that we need to just sit back and say, well, whenever God's ready to do something, I'm ready. But I don't know what He's waiting for. I am fully convinced that revival happens on our side. And when we do certain things, God will respond in particular ways. Now, we don't get to pick the details. We don't get to say, well, I want this kind of revival that's going to produce this result at this particular time. We don't get to say that. But as we've defined revival in this series, revival is people fully submitting to God. If people fully submit to God, I guarantee you, God will show up and powerful things will happen. It will be great. The details of which we will discover. Amen? We don't get to say, here are the details that we want. We want to have a laughing revival in Cloquet. If a laughing revival happens, awesome. It seems strange to me. But hey, who am I? If God wants to really touch people and bring a joy to their inner being that they've never had or that they've lost, great. What do I, I'm not against that. I think that's awesome. But I don't think we should all pretend to laugh when we're not having joy in our hearts and try to conjure up some sort of revival. We need to be real about it. We need to be honest about it. But I believe, I am firmly convinced that if we... Come to the Lord and fully submit to Him. He will do great and mighty things. He will move in a powerful way. The primary foundational concept of this series is God will do His part every time. God will do His part every time. And we've used the prodigal son as the example. Every time the prodigal son comes over the horizon to go back home, every time the father will run to him, and accept him back into the family, have a a ring and a robe, kill the fattened calf, and have a party. Every time. It's not just that the prodigal happened to catch the father on a good day. That is how it works. That is the father's character. That when we come to him with a humble and contrite heart, he runs to us and brings us back. That's what he does every time. It's his character. What we need to bring then, we've gone through this whole series, We need to bring a humble and contrite heart. A humble heart is a heart that says, hey, this is not about me. This is about God. And a contrite heart, what that word contrite means is broken. It means you've finally given up on your way. There's a good broken. There's a bad broken too. You know, there's a a broken spirit like you're defeated. That's not what this is talking about. This is where you finally give up doing it your way. And you finally say, yes, Lord, whatever it takes, I'm going with you. Broken. So that was the first week. Bring a humble and contrite heart. Then we talked about bringing the right spiritual climate. Bringing the right spiritual climate. Everybody that comes into the facility brings something with them. 
If you've been worshiping on the way here in the car, you'll bring something different than if you've been screaming at each other on your way here in the car. How many people have screamed at each other in the car on the way here? <laughs> I mean, that's just part of the deal, right? I mean, that's the enemy's little easy button is, oh, get the, get the Christian people mad at each other on Sunday morning and then his job is easy. But if everybody shows up bringing their part of the climate, bringing a spirit of worship, bringing a spirit of love, humility, bringing a spirit of faith, of devotion, of hope, all of these things, what would the climate be like and how would the Father respond? It'd be powerful. A couple weeks ago, we talked about bringing a towel. If you want to have revival, if you want to have a group of people that are fully submitting to God, that stick together, you got to bring a towel. And we talked about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, how He wrapped a towel around His waist and washed the disciples' feet. There will be things that are stinky about the people that are around you. In this room, if we interact with each other enough, if we actually get past the superficial into real fellowship, then there will be things that need to be cleaned up. So you got to bring a towel. Because people are people. Last week, we talked about bringing your talents, bringing your spiritual gifts, your various gifts. Uh, you know, bringing that to the table. Let me ask you a couple questions about these gifts. You know, anything from spiritual gifts like the gift of prophecy to things that may be more natural seeming like the ability to fix uh, a toilet and that sort of stuff, being able to clean the church. These sorts of gifts, these sorts of abilities, where do they come from? Who, who is the gift from? The gift is from God. Who is the gift for? That's what my wife said. She said, <laughs> remember we read that all these things must be done for the common good. So for the body of Christ, these gifts are from God to God, from God to the body of Christ. What's our part in it then? We are the bringers. We are the ones that have been given charge over the talents that we have. They're not for us to enjoy and to open our spiritual gift at home and have a party for ourselves. The gift isn't for you. It's for the greater body of Christ. So we talked about that last week. This week, we're going to have all kinds of fun. <clears throat> we're going to talk about bring your offering. Bring your offering. This can be a touchy subject. We talk about offerings, talk about money, talk about stuff like that. And uh, did you know the first murder on planet Earth was over offerings given to God? Did you know Judas, the thing that snapped him was an extravagant gift given to Jesus? An extravagant gift was given to Jesus and then... Judas complained about it and directly went 
and said, how much money will you give me if I turn him over to you? This guy is getting too extravagant of gifts. It caused Judas to snap. The most harsh judgment miracle in the New Testament occurred over the handling of offerings. Ananias and Sapphira. How many people know the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Raise your hand. All right, so here's the deal. <clears throat> people were, revival was happening. You know, I mean, this is the New Testament revival. Everything's going great. And people were so caught up in it, they're like selling their property and bringing the money to church. Like they'll sell their farm and just bring all of the money to church and just put it on the ground and it would be like, woohoo, and, and people are doing this. And Barnabas does this. And Ananias and Sapphira look at all the excitement that's going on and they think we want in on this deal. But we don't want to give all the money that we get for the property. So they sell a piece of property and they bring some of the money and say it's all of the money. Here's all the money we got from what we sold. Throw a party for us like you did for Barnabas. And Peter says... What is the matter with you? You haven't lied to us. You've lied to God. Says this to Ananias. Ananias goes, ah, and falls over dead. Right there in church. Then they had long services. Three hours later, the wife comes in. The young men take Ananias out. They dig a hole and put him in the hole or wherever they put him in the tomb, whatever they did. And uh, the wife comes in three hours later and Peter says, hey, is this the amount you got for that property? She's like, yep. Are you serious? And, and he, Peter says to Ananias, you know, before, he said, hey, the property was yours. And after you sold it, the money was yours. Why would you even do this? Just, you know, you didn't even need to sell it. You didn't need to bring any of the money. Why are you lying? And so the wife comes in, she's in on the deal. She says, yep, that's the amount we got for it. And she falls over dead. And they take her out. New Testament. How you feeling? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> let's be honest about what we're giving, amen? You know, let's not try to fool God with this. The, the money deal can be a big thing. But it's something, we take an offering absolutely every Sunday. You know, we don't take offerings at youth group. We don't take offerings at worship nights. We don't take offerings at small groups. We don't take offerings at grill and chills in the summer. But we do on Sunday morning. We always take an offering. It's something that everybody has to deal with. That plate's going by. How are we going to handle that? How are we going to understand that? And so that is what we are talking about today. Let's pray. And we will get into four different things. Four different biblical situations where Jesus makes comments about offerings. Father, I do ask you to bless our time now. I know you've got a plan. You've got things you want us to understand and want us to see. And Father, I pray that you'd open our hearts to be able to get uh, a right understanding and a, and a right heart about all this stuff. Uh, that we not be caught up in, uh, in wrong thinking, Lord, but just help us, guide us, bless us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
So, let's talk a little bit about God's economy. God's economy. I'm just going to broadly state this. Uh, if you want the small group notes, it, it gives you some uh, scripture reference for this. Uh, there are small group notes up on the table uh, out there if you would like to do a small group based on the sermon series. But here's the basics of God's economy. The church, the church, which is the body of Christ, the congregation or the, the gathering of God, which is in the broad view, not just like the Sunday morning service or the building edition that Good Hope Church wants to build, but the church, the body of Christ in the broad view is to be financed through tithes and offerings. And it's to be well financed. God wants there to be food in the house. He wants there to be plenty. And when people give tithes and offerings, they are to be blessed by God such that they're not losing out, but they also have more. So that's God's economy. Is The church is to be financed through tithes and offerings that people offer to God, and then God blesses those people with more than what they gave. That's the basics of it. Doesn't that sound like a good system? Yeah, it sounds like a really good system. Uh, So let's look at some situations where people are giving offerings, where people are engaging in this, and Jesus is making comments and and uh, saying different things about it. We're going to start in Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. This is the widow's mites, the situation of the widow's mites. Luke 21, 1 through 4. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, the first thing I noticed was, does everybody watch everybody else give their offerings in this day? You know, like, uh, they're all sitting around talking about what, oh, look, look what Joe brought. Look at that. That's pretty good. You know, I'm, are they, is that what's going on here? I mean, that seems to be the situation. They're all watching what everybody's giving. Everybody knows what the poor widow gave. Everybody knows what the other people gave. That's bizarre. <laughs> that would not fly here. You know, we could have the commentary as somebody walks down the aisle to put their offering at the altar. Be like, you know, <laughs> here comes Bart. Looks like he's had a good day at work. You know, he's must have gotten some tips. You know, and all that sort of thing. You know, wouldn't that be ridiculous? I mean, that would be that would be very offensive in our culture. But they seem to all know what's going on. Jesus sees this poor widow. She puts in two. Very small copper coins. Basically, an amount that's irrelevant to the temple, to the working of the temple. It's not going to make much difference for financing the temple. But it would make a big difference to her, wouldn't it? Because it's all she's got. If you've got $3, those are a valuable $3. If you're looking for some food and you know you can buy some rice with three bucks, but you come and offer that three dollars, how valuable to God is that three dollars when you offer it? Jesus explains it right here. 
He says, she put in more. If this person, you know, who has plenty puts in 10% of the plenty, but she puts in 100% of the lack, how does God respond? God says she gave more. Even though the amount was much less, she gave more. Jesus commended the woman's giving. It was large in the eyes of God, even though small in the eyes of man. What did Jesus not say? He didn't say, lady, what's the matter with you? You have needs. Don't give that. In fact, you other guys, you should give to her. What are you putting money in the, in the temple treasury for? You should give some to her. She's in trouble. And she's a widow. He didn't say that. He said, good for her. Putting that in. Interesting. Let's keep moving. The Pharisee's gnat. Someday we'll do a series called Gnats and Camels. It's going to be a great series. I'm looking forward to it. It'll probably be a year or two down the road. Gnats and Camels. Let's look at this situation. The Pharisee's gnat. Matthew 23, 23. If you wonder why they crucified Jesus, read Matthew chapter 23. It's just him publicly berating the Pharisees, over and over and over. So if you wonder, he was such a nice guy. He talked about loving people. Read Matthew 23 and you'll know why they were really mad at him. Because he was just, he was just railing on. But Matthew 23, 23 and 24, one of the woes. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. What does strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel mean? It means that you're really, really careful about certain details, but completely miss the point on other things. A tenth of your dill, that's, that's fine. I mean, if you want to bring a tenth of your garden produce, that's cool. You know, you got 12 carrots, so you bring a carrot and a little bit of a carrot, you know, and you're like, you put it in the offering plate as it goes by, well, I'm giving a tenth of my carrots. That's fine. Is there anything wrong with that? No, but what if you hate everybody around you? And you're just, you have no kindness in your heart whatsoever, but you bring that carrot and a little bit and you think you're doing pretty good by God. Yeah, I'm serving God real well because I brought my carrot and a little bit of carrot. I measured it out just right. 10% of my carrots. That's straining out a gnat, but swallowing a camel. Like you totally missed it. You don't love your brother, but you brought a tenth of your carrots. What were the Pharisees' intentions with this giving of a tenth of the mint, dill, and cumin? What was their intention? To make sure that everybody knew that they were following these rules to the T. It was an attempt at outwardly justifying who they were. That's what they 
were intending to do. They themselves wanted to justify who they were while their inner man was far from God. So Jesus tells them the right priorities, which is great. You know, justice, mercy, faithfulness. That's important. So what didn't Jesus say this time? He didn't say, just go ahead and keep the tenth of your dill, you joker. He said, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You can give a tenth of your garden produce. There's nothing wrong with that. But you better have these other things. You better have justice, mercy, and faithfulness at the same time. You need both. This outward presentation is not enough. You have to have the changed inner man as well. But he didn't say, forget the tenth. He didn't say that. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. This one is kind of interesting. You, I doubt, will ever hear this passage of Scripture quoted when the preacher guy is talking about tithes and offerings. I think this would be the only time this will ever happen. Because here, the shoe's on the other foot. Let's read. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 9. And he said to them, you have a, so he's yelling at the Pharisees again. The Pharisees had money problems. You know, they put money above God and they were trying to make it work. And they just were running into trouble because their heart was wrong. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. That's pretty strong. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. He's like, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. You guys are playing these games. So... This is a negative example. Jesus says, you guys are telling people to give gifts to God and it's not appropriate. It shouldn't be like that. He's saying you need to teach people to honor their parents. Can you outgive God? I think people have out have given what they shouldn't have given. They just sort of kept giving, even though it wasn't what God showed them to do. I believe you can give more to the church than what you should. God will give you an amount. If you, uh, It's one of the cool things about tithes and offerings is it helps you learn how to hear from God. Lord, what should I give this week? What should I give? And you, you ask God, and you get a number, and you, and you give that. And then you, you ask again, and you might get a different number the next week. And then something else might come up where you need to deal with something 
at a separate time. And you'll start to realize, wow, I'm, so, I'm starting to hear from God. It's a really, really cool situation. But I've heard people say you can't outgive God. But I tell you, he has a specific amount. And if you give more than that, it doesn't do you any good. You understand what I'm saying? If God says give $50 and you give $150, well, that's fine. I mean, that's not a sin. Except that you're not doing what God showed you to do. Maybe he's got plan, another plan for that 100 bucks. Something else is supposed to happen. But I've seen people, or I know of people, who have given way more than what I think God was telling them to give, and it put them in a really bad situation. Put them in a hard spot. Here what Jesus is saying is, you're saying to people not to help their family, but to give the money to the church? What's the matter with you people? You're not supposed to take that. You're supposed to help people help their own family members. You should encourage them to do so. Now this Corbin thing, I did a little bit of research on it, and apparently it was kind of a, a trick. You know, like back then they had all these goofy religious ideas where, you know, if you said an oath a particular way, you could break the oath. But if you said it another way, then you couldn't break the oath. So it's sort of like in, when we were kids, I don't know if you guys did this, but if you had your fingers crossed, you could lie to people. Do you remember that? Yeah, and, and it was perfectly, oh, see, fingers are crossed. Um, it was like that. They had these religious things of, you know, if, if I say my oath this way, I don't have to actually keep my oath. So I'm going to try to trick people into thinking I'm going to keep it by saying it this particular way, but I don't really have to do it because fingers crossed. They did these tricky things. One of the things about this, this Corbin is an is a extremely broad term, a gift devoted to God. It just means an offering. It's extremely broad. But one of the things that they used to be able to do back then was they would offer, of course, themselves to God. And they would offer their home to God. And they would pronounce Corbin over something. So like, for example, if I was to take my car and pronounce Corbin over it, back then, you get to keep your car but nobody else gets to use it because it's dedicated to God. I get to keep the car, but my mom couldn't use it because it's a gift dedicated to God. It was this little tricky thing. It was one of it's, I, I need to do a little bit more research on it, but it, it was sort of a thing like that. Like you could still use it, but you had to use it for God's purposes. But other people couldn't use it because it's dedicated to God. It's set aside, not for common use. And so people were using it as a trick to keep things for themselves and not help their family members out. So there's more to it than just like the church guy manipulating people into giving money that they should be helping other people with. Well, that's a really interesting, interesting passage. So the point behind all that is don't try to manipulate the system. Offerings should be holy. You should seek God on what to give and give them honestly, give them in faith. They should be a holy thing. No manipulation, no trickery, none of that stuff in there. And I am convinced you can... I don't want to say it that way. Can you ever really pray enough? Yes. 
Can you ever really read your Bible enough? Absolutely. God is not unreasonable. Can you ever really give enough? Definitely. What do you mean? What? He expects a million dollars from you and you don't have a million dollars? He's not unreasonable. It doesn't say give 110%. God is not unreasonable. You can pray enough. You can read your Bible enough. You can come to church enough. You can give enough. Most people aren't, but you can. It can be done. God is not unreasonable. So this idea of I can just give however much. I can just give absolutely everything I have away. If God shows you to do so, do it. But if you're just doing that on your own, you're just doing that on your own and now you just don't have any stuff. And maybe you would have needed those resources for something God had in mind for you three weeks later. So you need to be led in your giving. You need to pray and be spirit-led in your giving. Last one, let's go to Mark 13. I'm sorry, Mark 14. The fine perfume. Mark 14. This is at the end. You know, Mark is a short book. We're towards the end of the book. Jesus is going to be crucified very soon. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. How'd you like to be known as Simon the leper? A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. A year's wages. So let's just be somewhat conservative and say this is $20,000 worth of perfume. That's a chunk, right? This is an extravagant gift. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. <laughs> I just, I think, isn't that an interesting thing? The poor are still going to be poor. If you sold the perfume, the poor are still going to be poor. You can help them whenever you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. Judas did not like that at all. Why do you think G- Judas <clears throat> why do you think Judas got so mad? Why this waste? Well, the Gospel of John tells us he used to carry the money bag and he would help himself to the money bag. So he was a little bit uh, unhappy that there would be less in the money bag. Have you ever seen somebody get something and it kind of kind of did something to you? Oh, why do they have that? I should have that. I'm sure there was a, a pride, jealousy thing going on there. There was something going on with Judas. 
And I think we've felt that too. I know I have. When you feel like you're giving and 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 you're being wronged and being wronged and being wronged and all of a sudden, bloop, somebody else gets a great blessing from God. Well, come on! So Judas was mad. He took matters into his own hand. Solved both problems. He messed up Jesus and he got money for himself. How'd that turn out for Judas? Bible says it would have been better if he had not been born. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever gotten mad because of someone else's giving? Someone else. I can't believe they sent that to the 700 Club. That's ridiculous. Have you ever gotten mad about someone else's giving? Whose job is it to give that or to not give that? It's theirs. They can do with it what they want. Even if it's not the best decision. And you feel like it's the Corban situation from the previous verse that we read. You know what? That's up to them. Don't get in the middle of it. You may end up being in a situation like this where, where Jesus is on the side of the giver. Whose side was Jesus on? Was he with Judas? This is a waste! Or was he on the side of the woman who broke that perfume? I wonder how much money she had. You know what I mean? This would have been, sell it and give it to the poor. Keep it for yourself. You know what I mean? But now, she made the Bible. And what Jesus said that day, wherever the gospel goes, this will be told about her. That's going on. Thousands of years later, here we are talking about her in Cloquet, Minnesota. Jesus was on the side of the giver. One more thing before we get to communion today. Was Jesus in it for the perfume? He received the perfume. Extravagant gift. Seriously, 20 grand to smell good for a little bit? He was not in it for the perfume, clearly. But he received it. He accepted it. And she was honored for her giving. We're gonna, it's Communion Sunday today. We're going to go ahead and uh, hand out the elements at Good Hope. If you want to take communion, just go ahead and take communion. It's up to you. It's your responsibility. But if you're going to do it, be, just be real about it. Understand, we are remembering what Jesus did for us. We are honoring the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And so if you, if you don't want to, just a little no thank you thing. I, I, I do want to. Thank you. Just a little no thank you is perfectly fine. Um, but again, if, if you're going to, let's make it real. Let's let this be a real thing between us and God. John 3.16, we give to God, but God has given to us too. 
surely you can't outgive God in the sense of can you give something more valuable than what He gave you? You certainly cannot do that. We need to be, again, as I said before, we need to be led in our giving. Give what you're shown to give. I believe that will develop over time into tithes, a tenth, and offerings. But oftentimes, people have to deal with other things first. You know, God wants them to increase their faith. God wants to work with, uh, you know, loving their, their brothers and sisters. Things like that. Those things are first. But the time will come when all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm, there's something in my heart that's saying something different than it said before. And you'll get to that place. But the easy answer, just be led. Just be led. You'll get there. John 3.16 The Father gave something. I've got three boys. I like them a lot. I don't want to see them suffer at all. Put put John 3.16 up there, Seth, if you would. For God so loved the world, He loved what? The messed up, ugly, sin-filled world that we are part of. That He brought an offering. He gave His one and only Son that whoever... Now, did the Father receive His Son back? He did. He received His Son back. Jesus had to go through something, but, he, but the Father received His Son back. His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus gave 100% to us. He came, He lived here. He lived a sinless life, though He was tempted in every way just like us. He subjected Himself to being falsely accused. He was tortured and killed as a sacrifice to sin. To take sins away. The destruction that needs to happen to sin all fell on Him. The good news is that doesn't have to fall on us then. If we sin, we are disqualified from the kingdom of God. Because that is a kingdom with no sin. But fortunately for us, Jesus has taken that destruction. He has taken that punishment. He has done that for us. Jesus gave 100% of Himself to you and He wants you to give 100% of yourself to Him. He's not in it for the perfume. He's in it for your heart. He's in it for your soul. He's in it for your mind and your strength. That's what He's here for. So as we remember what Jesus did and what He was willing to give, let's evaluate what we are willing to give back to Him.
So let's pray and we'll partake together. Heavenly Father, I just give you praise, honor you, worship you. Lord Jesus, what you did for us is something that, of course, we can never pay back. We don't mean to do that when we bring offerings. We just mean to honor you. But we thank you, Lord, that you took the punishment that was due us, that we could avoid it, that we could be made new, be born again, be brought into the kingdom of God without any stain, without any blemish, and that we could be acceptable in the presence of Almighty God. Thank You for what You've done. Help us to be able to put ourselves in Your hands because we know the love You have for us. Let's partake together. This is the body of Christ which was broken for You. And this is the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Praise your name. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. If you have a prayer need, we've got the prayer team up here. If you need to, uh, if you need to ask God for forgiveness, if you need strength to get through a situation, if you need healing, if you need a financial miracle, whatever it is, we have the prayer team here. Come up. Pray with them. Otherwise, you are dismissed. Have yourself a wonderful day, uh, a wonderful Sunday in March. Spring is coming. Um, so have a have a good day.